Last week, we began looking at Acts 10, which I pointed out a lot of people consider to be one of the most important chapters in the Bible. We covered verses 1 through 2, which introduced the centurion Cornelius. The entire chapter 10 of Acts covers the ministry of Peter to the Gentiles in Cornelius' household in the Roman capital of Caesarea. Now, we're going to be looking at uh, the next 14 verses today, but don't think we're going to cover them all. I'm actually, once again, going to work a little bit backwards through this passage. But we're going to go ahead and read those 14 verses with that in mind. Last week we read, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Continuing on in verses 3 through 16, we are told about the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop above the, about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up into heaven. Now I'm going to leave verses 3 through 8 for next week. And instead, like I said, work backward through this section. Because I found something I've never seen it before in this passage. Now, I have preached through Acts before, uh, 20-some years ago at, uh, at uh, Twin Peaks Church. And I, well, let's put it this way. Back then was prehistoric ages. It was before the internet. I had at my disposal my own personal books and the church library to, to research these things. And now... What the wonder of the internet, which sometimes I wish we didn't have. Virtually every book in the world is right there open to me, and I can, I can Google one phrase and bring up multitudes of passages on that one phrase. And I didn't have that the last time I was preaching through Acts. And 
Maybe eventually we'll get to... I stopped in Acts 18 the last time because we called a new pastor to the church and that was the end of my preaching. I have no illusions that I'm going to get through to the end of Acts this time either because uh, of how long I'm taking to get through it. What, what do they say? When Mozart was my age, he'd been dead for 30 years, you know. Well, I'm not going to make it to the end of Acts, I don't think. But... Um, So I'm looking at this passage today, and it's always been so vivid to me. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Why am I suddenly hungry? Now, um, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Uh, That must be one of the most recognizable passages in Scripture, right? Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And yet I always found it a little bit unartful. Um, something struck me wrong about this passage. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. I have a couple very good recent volumes of commentaries on Acts, and I'm looking through it, and something just jumped out at me. Would you be surprised to find out that the word used for kill is not kill? I mean, how many times have I done this now? That is not what this passage says. It does not say, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And I, when I saw that, I, I, I went back to my old friend Bible Hub because I wanted to see how many versions of the English Bible, though, uh, the translations, used Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Bible Hub, as I've said before, has 36 versions of the Bible in columns, so I can compare them all. Uh, 46. 36 of them say, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Nine say, Arise, Peter, slaughter and eat. little fine difference there. And one says, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. All 46 are wrong. Just to let you know. Which is a really weird thing to me. And we'll get into that a little bit later. An accurate translation would say, Arise, Peter, sacrifice, and eat. And I think that there is an important distinction there. I mean, when we talk about sacrifice, we are killing. So it's not fair for me to completely say that these translations are wrong. But there is a little nuance here that is missing when you say sacrifice and eat. In the context, it appears, God is telling Peter to choose an animal or to choose all the animals that he has presented before him uh, that exist in all the world because it says, you know, every animal of every kind Peter saw in this vision is let down. And God says... To, kill, uh, to sacrifice and eat, no matter whether it's a clean animal or an unclean animal, he is to sacrifice them to the Lord and then eat it, eat of that sacrifice, which was the prerogative of the temple priests, as Robin just read to us in our passage in Leviticus today. So, what exactly is going on here? This is often. Uh, taught, and I have taught it myself, that God is here ending the ceremonial dietary laws. 
And don't get me wrong, he was. But it's more than that. This was to be a total upheaval of how God dealt with man, uh, of, his, of the relationship between God and man. As I pointed out last week, all animals are basically the same. There is really no inherent difference between a clean and an unclean animal. Now, God made a distinction, you know, things that crawled on the ground, uh, reptiles and such were unclean. Uh, birds of prey were unclean. Shellfish were unclean. Uh, some can sit back and say there's a reason for God, a, a real dietary reason for God to separate those animals out, but not so other animals. That those were lumped in as unclean is not simply because of dietary laws. So what is going on? The distinction between clean and unclean is one God made. He declared some to be clean and some to be unclean. In the same way, all humans are the same. Race is a, a false a false differentiation between people. All people are the same. The Bible never talks about somebody's race unless we have talking about Nubians. We know them to be black. Uh, the Ethiopians were known to be black. But that's the only way in which the Bible ever deals with race. Nobody of any race is considered less intelligent less of a person, less of anything. All people are treated the same. The distinction God made was that he chose one people to be his own people in the same way he chose some animals to be clean. And if you put them together, he chose the people, the people he chose to be his people were the people he directed to only eat what he deemed a clean animal. And there is a coral, there is a one-to-one correlation here of eating clean animals and being God's people. And to demonstrate to the rest of the world that they were indeed set apart, that they were holy, they were only to eat food that God had also set apart, that food that was declared by God to be clean. Now, I went looking for this to be preached. Now, two, I said that two of my commentaries mention what this word actually means. And I went looking diligently to see if how many times this has been preached on, and I found one example on the internet. Okay? One. And I and when I run across something like that, I then say, am I right and the rest of the world wrong? Or is the rest of the world right and I'm wrong, which is usually how I look at these things. But I found one man, his name was Adam Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E. He was a Methodist theologian uh, back when George Whitfield, when they were still strolling the land. About 1820 was when he was living. And he says there's more than just an animal being clean and uh, God's people being there. There is more to that than just animals offered in sacrifice were considered to be, had to be considered to be clean. They were to be given to God. 
When God received the sacrifice, the flesh was given to those who offered the sacrifice that they might feed on it. And we read that in in Leviticus today. Every sacrifice had the nature of a covenant. Every time you offered a sacrifice to God, you were renewing a covenant with Him. And the covenant had to, it's like a contract, right? When we do a contract, when you buy a house, when you do anything, the buyer signs the contract, the seller signs the contract. And, and you do it in 47 different places. When you offered God a sacrifice, the priests were to eat of it. That was man accepting the covenant details. And also, it was believed that God was spiritually there and eating of that sacrifice also to sign the second part. The covenant was not binding until the flesh of the sacrifice was eaten. So Jews and Gentiles here are represented in Peter's vision by the clean and unclean animals. These, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, now were to be offered up as a spiritual sacrifice to God by Peter. Adam Clark further says that um, Peter was to be a prime instrument in this work. He was to offer them to God and rejoice in the work of his hands. The spirit of the heavenly direction seems to be this. The middle wall of partition is now to be pulled down. The Jews and Gentiles are called to become one flock under one shepherd and bishop of souls. Peter shall open that door of faith to the Gentiles and be also the minister of the circumcision. He says that the the sacrifice has been prepared. Go and (coughs) offer it to God. And let your soul feed on the fruits of his mercy and goodness. In thus showing his gracious design of saving both Jews and Gentiles by Christ crucified. But it's even more than what Adam Clark says here. Yes, God is ending the ceremonial dietary law. Forbidding the eating of unclean food. Uh, And I say food and not meat because as we seen last week, uh, unclean food could be vegetables and fruit as well. Now, Gentiles and Jews would no longer be separated, but united as brothers in Christ's church through the gospel of Jesus. And if God was not only willing to accept a sacrifice of unclean animals but telling Peter to sacrifice them, what in God's creation could possibly be outside of God's love any longer? Everything and everyone is reconciled to God through belief in Jesus. Arise, Peter, sacrifice and eat is what Peter heard. So how does Peter react to these world-changing words, to these most extraordinary words that anyone has ever heard. And Peter says in verse 13, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And don't you just love uh, 
love Peter. You know, it's said of the uh, Republican Party, uh, and I'm a Republican, but it's true, that the Republican Party never misses a chance to miss a chance, okay? Peter never misses a chance to get it wrong. And that's what I love about him. God speaks to him in a vision, and the first words out of Peter's mouth is, by no means, Lord. Or in other words, no, you know, just no. Now this is a um, rather strident statement from Peter. He says, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And commentators, and most of the commentators I read, pointed out that Galileans, I've mentioned before that Galileans were separated from Judea, the center of religion. By Samaria, no less, they were in the north. They were the most Gentilized province of Israel. This is where Jesus grew up. Galileans were notoriously loose with aspects of Jewish law, especially the finer points of dietary laws, because they were surrounded by Gentiles. Anyway, they they were notoriously loose with uh, the Pharisaical dietary laws and ritual washings. And we remember, we saw last week that Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites uh, for for their emphasis on the traditions of the elders in the ritual washings. Had Peter kept dietary laws scrupulously? Now, I won't call him a liar here, but he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, and there are carcasses everywhere around that place, okay? Clean and unclean animals. So, so saying how scrupulous he is in this statement... Um, makes you wonder just a little bit. And a voice came to him a second time and says, what is God has made clean, do not call common. We are left to assume that Peter reacted to God's voice the same way this time as he had the first. Verse 16 says, this happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And, you know, as I read this, I wonder, you know, was, was Peter one of those, you probably met them, people who had to, had to have everything explained to them, you know, more than once. You don't just give them a direction and have them go off. Drives you nuts like on a construction site when you have to continually tell somebody what they should be doing. In Matthew uh, 26, 30 through, uh, 30 through 35 and 69 through 75, it says... And this is Jesus. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. 
And up to verse 69, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. Jesus was being tried in the uh, house of the high priest. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he immediately began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man, and immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the roaster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. Now, I'd like to think that uh, I'd catch the drift after, you know, the rooster crowed, uh, or before the rooster crowed the first time, uh, that perhaps, you know, uh, I would be aware enough to realize that I denied Jesus, but, but you know, no. I think that Peter is emblematic of all of us. I think that that is why these things are recorded. So, this is normally the part of my sermon where I explain why the translators used a certain English word over another to best transmit the meaning of the Greek text. Okay? I really like doing that. In this case today, I can't. I have no idea, no reason, why they're using the wrong word in every English translation. Every single translation, 46 in all, use either kill, slay, or slaughter. And it's not like this goes without notice. As I pointed out 200 years ago, uh, Adam Clark wrote, Sacrifice and eat. Though this verb is sometimes used to signify the slaying of animals for food, yet as the proper notion is to slay for the purpose of sacrifice, it appears to me to be better to preserve that meaning here. Okay? 200 years ago, they saw this as well. I agree totally with Adam Clark. So why is this rendered kill and eat? Like I said, this always is stuck seemed to me a little bit of a crude translation, a, a uh, inartful way of putting something. Why has every translator shied away from the description of what God was ordering Peter to do? To sacrifice an unclean animal to him. Sacrifice implies a sacrifice to God, always. But of the unclean and profane, are they worried that translating its sacrifice would, would pollute God? But God in this passage says, What God has made clean, do not call common. Which means, the, the common use there just means unclean. It means unholy or profane. Uh, any adjective you care to insert here. Indeed, the uh, commentator C.K. Barrett in the International Critical Commentary says that Peter here is called by God to perform 
a religious act. And this is a modern, a very modern and considered one of the best commentators on Acts there is. He says that Peter is called by God here to perform a religious act. A sacrifice to God which is only completed by the act of eating. God here has made everything clean. Everything sacred. Everything holy. Everything here. Because of this act and what what God says here. To sacrifice this to him. Shows that he considers everything holy. The apostle Paul addresses this several times in his epistles. 1 Corinthians 23-29 through says. All things are lawful. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat what is ever sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner... And you are disposed to go. Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? All things are lawful. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In Romans, that great letter dealing with the law of God, in in chapter 14, verses uh, 13 through 21, Paul reiterates that, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, a man persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Paul here says nothing, and I stress nothing, is unclean. Whoever serves Christ is acceptable to God. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make uh, another stumble. And finally, in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits 
and teachings of demons through the insincerity, insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Everything created by God is good, and Paul means everything. Nature, animals, vegetables, fruit, men. If God has made them clean, he says they are not just clean. They're spotless. And if you believe in Jesus, if you have been adopted into God's family, you are clean indeed, whiter than snow. And there is no better way to put this on what what God is telling Peter here. He is sending Peter to the Gentile world. He is sending him to eat and dine with people considered sinners that will soon be part of God's family. They are not unclean any longer. The foods they eat are not unclean any longer. The only habits they have that are unclean are sinful habits that they have not sacrificed on the altar of their lives to Christ because basically this is what it's talking about. All of the world is clean. All of who we are is to be held for Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for us to him. And that is the best way that I can find to explain what Jesus is doing here. And once again, I'll just say, and why 46 translations don't use the word sacrifice is beyond me when it's the word used. Do they just not want to deal with, really, God saying that you can sacrifice unclean items to him? I don't know. But you can. And he tells Peter to do it. Let's close in prayer.